1: Welcome to episode 102 of Bleeding Blue, and today we come to you on on a somber note, on a bit of a sad note. Uh, this last week, Anthony Tomeno, a very close friend of ours, a Talking Giants contributor, a wonderful man, a wonderful person, a wonderful father, he passed away um, suddenly and tragically. Um, but what we want to do today is we want to we want to carry on, we want to continue our our mission and our and our goal to release an episode once a week uh Bobby Skinner and I we were texting and he said that we want to we want a mamba mentality this whole thing um, so we want to keep going I know it's what Anthony would want um but we come to you today with with heavy hearts uh we're grieving but without further ado let's bleed blue and we love you Anthony Tomeno <laughs> next these last two weeks have been tough for a lot of people for many different reasons um but especially this past week it got a little bit tougher little bit tougher um you know uh, you you knew anthony um you know you were you were hanging out with us almost throughout you know that entire draft weekend and you actually came on for a bit yeah uh and it was danny danny king anthony uh myself and you um we were having a ball we were having a hell of a time Hell of a time.
0: I will say, I will say, and I'm not, I don't mean to interrupt you. Um, <clears throat> but when you brought Anthony up, that was what I was going to talk about. Cause, you know, outside of that, me and Anthony, you know, we were never on other calls together, but we had interacted through Twitter. And I listened to all of his stuff he did with you guys. And um, as talented as he was with all this, he was just a better guy. You know what I mean? He, he was, he was a really, really good good man and um i bring up that that draft night and it it makes me laugh and it, it almost makes me upset because you know what planet i was on that night i was <laughs> fuming i was fuming based on what he was saying i was yelling at him put nate Solder didn't... at left
1: tackle the audacity oh
0: anthony <laughs> anthony if you're listening now anthony please but it, it was um I, I yelled at him. He and you know I apologize. He knew I wasn't
1: yelling. At it was him. good was radio. It was good situation. radio. It
0: was good live right. stream. It was good radio. And he, I've yelled at probably six, seven hundred thousand people in my life, and nobody has ever taken it better than he did. And I will always be grateful for that. Like I said, as talented and as passionate as a person I, I have, I have met. Um, virtually I have heard he did amazing work and seeing all the outcry of support and um, remembrance of Anthony and all the money that I've seen that has been raised has truly, truly been an uplifting moment in a very, very shitty recent stretch of, of events that's gone on. So Anthony um, thank you for, for all the work you did and for the entertainment that you gave us and for for being just a great man and um, for sure going to miss him dearly.
1: The support that has been shown with not just the donations, but with the kind words and mm-hmm. there have been people yeah. that have made like videos <laughs> of like yep. talking to us.
0: And, yeah, but you just brought up a great point. Seeing the money's amazing. Like w- what yes. the GoFundMe goal was and to see what what it's over is amazing. <clears throat> but reading and and seeing and listening to the the words people are saying about Anthony is to me much more significant. Yeah. Um it just goes to show you what he meant to to everybody and especially Giants Twitter, Giants yeah. community and everything. So um yeah, he had another him.
1: family, you know. Uh and obviously, yep. you know, we're we're not even the ones that we should really, you know, people are making videos for us, but you know, we're not even the ones that people they should be making it for. Um <laughs> you know, which we appreciate right. it, but you know, what I mean, it's it's the family, but also The whole goal, and I think we accomplished it in terms of honoring him, is we wanted to show that, hey, Anthony Tomeno had another family. You know, it wasn't just Mm -hmm. his blood family, it wasn't just his close friends, it wasn't just, you know, the people that he maybe went to school with and that he played football, his teammates, his work colleagues. It was people that he's never met. (laughs) And that's kind of crazy. And that's partially why I say community all the time. If you've been listening to Bleeding Blue for a long time, you know that I preach community. Um, and you saw it personified. You actually saw it in action this week, which heartbreaking, but also inspiring. So there's one thing that Anthony would want us to do right now. Snacks. He would want us to stick to what we have. He would want us to stick to our mission. He would want us to stick to, to bleeding blue for these New York football giants. Um, and that's what we're going to do. So I, so I teased it at the end of last episode, we have to do some cleanup for, um what we are talking mm-hmm. about is if these walls could talk um Ernie Paladino it's a <laughs> it's a really it's a really good book. it's a book about like behind the scenes stories of the New York football Giants of the last 20 years. It's only the last 20 years. I'll have to find some other books that maybe um, I have some other books from like the uh, like one week um by Jerry Eisenberg about like a, it, Jerry Eisenberg like followed the Giants for like one week during the nineteen eighty nine season so we're gonna mm-hmm. we're gonna read that book as well. But If These Walls Could Talk, Ernie Palladino, uh, really, really good book. It's giving some behind-the-scenes stories. And what we uh, didn't finish off with last week was talking about, like, super slogans. Uh, Tom Coughlin's two famous super slogans of talk is cheap, play the game, and finish in 2011. Now, I'm kind of under the impression that, like, do corny slogans work? And that's going to be kind of the question that I'm going to ask. But I'm going to read you Palladino. I'm going to read you an excerpt, uh, and and then we'll talk about it which I'm on the wrong fucking Let's page. do it. Talk is cheap. Play the game. Sprang fourth from the turbulence of 2006, along with the mighty on-field struggles to 8-8 eight and eight that preceded a first-round playoff exit in Philadelphia, there was much chatter going on in and out of the locker room. Having already announced he would make that season his last, Barber blasted Coughlin for abandoning the run in a loss to Jacksonville. Jeremy Shockey had described the team as being outcoached in a bad loss to Seattle, The media was beating down Coughlin's door, crying for the ouster of what they perceived as an intractable, rude, and inaccessible head coach. Like many coaches, Coughlin had always believed in slogans and quote to get his team fired up. Players could always count on hearing the words of such heroes such as George Patton, Winston Churchill, and even romantic poets in Coughlin's Saturday night speeches. Other minor slogans were plastered around any area where players were congregated. But the upheaval of 2006 made Talkish Cheap Play the Game a perfect motto for the upcoming season since there had been so much of the former and not nearly enough of the latter. It went on t-shirts, printed materials, and stayed on the players' lips throughout a season that saw the Giants become road warriors with an 11-1 record away from the Metal hands, including four postseason victories through Super Bowl 42. Tom Coughlin said... We focused on how good we were playing on the field and not talking about it. I remember after we lost that playoff game at Philly talking to coach Coughlin, and this is what Antonio Pierce said. And I was like, man, we just waited too long to stop talking. All of us. It was a whole group of us from the front office to the coaches, to the players. We waited too long and did too much. All right. So that's basically talking about like, you know, how, how were these, you know, how were these slogans kind of applied? How is talk is cheap play the game? applied and what went wrong in two thousand six. Now snacks, I mentioned Tiki Barber because largely if we if we remember like disarray in the Giants locker room from two thousand six, sure Jeremy Shockey was a little bit of a problem. He was a little bit of a hothead.
0: It was Tiki Barber. But
1: all right, so I I'm gonna let you rock and roll. You have some very strong opinions on Tiki Barber.
0: Yeah, I do. I think yeah I, I might lose Anybody that likes me already, maybe I lose them here. I, I'm gonna curse. I hope you don't mind. I fucking hate Tiki Barber. I hate him. I think he is a quitting scumbag. He was in the middle of his prime, like okay, maybe not the middle, but he was. Justin, he was like the best running back in football for a three-year stretch. Yeah,
1: 2005. Still... His 2005 season was absolutely bananas. I think he had almost oh my two, God. almost 2,000 all-purpose yards. He was a first-team all-pro. Yeah. I mean, he was And he was wasn't bananas. fumbling the football. No.
0: He wasn't fumbling the football, which derailed every momentum he had earlier in his career. And then Coughlin came in and fixed that. So – the fact that the whole talk is cheap, I, I get the corny slogans, but in 07, it works perfectly because in 06, it was all talk. In the middle of the season, he announces he's retiring at the end. Right there is a distraction. That 06 team was very talented. That was a talented team. They were coming off a division title. That was a talented team. They had they had the pass rushers. They had Antonio Pierce Manning in the middle. They had Barber playing out of his mind. They had Burris, Eli in his third, fourth year. They had the talent. And it was just derailed by this 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 talk, this announcement in the middle of the year. And I, I will I will never forgive, ever, ever, ever forgive Tiki Barber for what he did. So I don't want to go too off on this because I could literally talk about it for an hour. Actually, I could talk about it for a year straight, how much I hate Tiki Barber. But I'm not gonna do that. So in the grand scheme of things, of the corny slogans and whatnot, I think 07, talk is cheap, play the game resonated as good as any slogan that we've heard.
1: I think 11 worked better. I honestly do
0: because I, even I, I can, I can understand that. Even I can understand that. But the fact, I'm sorry, I will, I, you know, I'll let you finish. <laughs> <But I'm true. laughs> Thank you. But I just, I just think that if Antonio Pierce is saying it took us too long to stop talking, then coming in with the slogan, talk is cheap, play the game. And you know, Telling your players right there that like we're not we're, we're playing football we're not talking to the media we're not causing distractions outside of it I, I still think that's very resonating. So finish your point about uh, about eleven and then you know I won't disagree to
1: no but I what I wanted to say about 07 is even though like Coughlin had that had that slogan they were still kind of a chatty team. Antonio Pierce yeah. like um, now this wasn't talk. But it was still a distraction. I think when you say talk is cheap play of the game, you're mainly like, let's not ha- let's stop with the distractions. So Antonio Pierce right. at one point, and I think it was very, very early on the season. It might have been after that Packers game. And this is from another book that I've previously read that I've already taken notes on that we'll talk about one day. But he ran he uh, like an air horn. He sounded off an air horn in the locker room with all the reporters and every, And he just like walked out of the locker room. So I know a lot of you probably remember this story a lot better than I am and can retell it better than I can. But there was that. And even during, like, Super Bowl week, I understand Tom Brady, like, initiated the the talk. But Plaxico burst. Yeah, Plaxico. No, no, Plaxico kind of. Did Plaxico clap back? Or did Plaxico have the score prediction first?
0: No. No, if I remember correctly, he had the score prediction first because Brady says, oh, he says we're only going to score 17 points. Ah, All right. So Bars can't really respond to that because Brady is responding to, right. to a plaque set. Right. And that that is definitely a big talk. You're right. I, I did forget about that. The Pierce thing, um, I, I feel like that's a little uncharacteristic of him, but the Giants have just let up like, 90 head. points in their – He is. He is. You're, you're, you're right. Maybe it's not. But they just let up 40 points or 90 points in two weeks. The frustration <laughs> level is has got to be at an all-time high.
1: Yeah,
0: It has to be. Yeah, And in talk as chief play the game too. Strahan held out all training camp that 07 year. Which isn't so much talk, but you know, it's not play the game, and it's Michael Strahan, so it's a little bit of a different situation right. because that is one of the four greatest Giants of all time. So um, maybe you don't you don't really mix that in there with everything. But I, I hear what you're saying. There was definitely some chatter. I do think they played the game a lot better than they they talked in 07. Yeah. So,
1: but also they're they're going from a coach like Jim Fossil where I don't really know like. Was he a disciplinarian? Um, no, no, no. No, right? Besides that one that's proclamation. Why, that's why
0: Wellington Tomorrow wanted to go with Tom Coughlin because he's like, this team needs discipline and all this, and that's what Tom Coughlin was. He was a disciplinarian. Yeah,
1: and really, besides that proclamation that he, that we talked about last week where he's like, I'm going to be in everybody's business and we're going to go to the playoffs, besides that proclamation, you know, like you said, I can kind of imagine – Based off of how you're celebrating an NFC Championship uh, ring ceremony in a movie theater, I can imagine he wasn't the Players the coach. toughest guy. He wasn't the most tough nosed right. tough nose, you know, guy like Tom Coughlin is. So Tiki Barber, um, Michael Strahan, for for a decent chunk of their careers, had this guy as their head coach, and now they're going to the complete and utter opposite of the end of the spectrum Crazy. with Tom Coughlin. Yeah, so. Yep. And this I actually really like what Pat Hamlin said, um, and I'll go back to Paladino for a quick second. In the end, that team overcame the preseason predictions of a last place finish to make the playoffs and go on an incredible Super Bowl run. Whatever the phrase, it has to be appropriate to the moment of the season. Hamlin said in 07, our locker room was in a state of transition. It had been a chatty locker room. What that phrase did tell them let's stop talking and let's start doing it was Tom's way of reinforcing that thought. So this is where, you know, we get to like the do the corny slogans work conversation because mm-hmm. in my opinion, no, <laughs> you know, if I'm just thinking about, yeah. you know, when I played and I'm not talking about, I didn't play at the collegiate level and I you know didn't play the pro level. Um, I played mm-hmm. for a competitive high school. high school, but I will tell you what a, a coach, I don't know. Cause really there was nothing that a coach said to like a team that really got me fired up. I've had coaches that have said things to me personally and that have motivated me personally to do things, but as like a team, mm-hmm. no, I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to do my job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, every athlete's no, different, I but I like the right, point that Hanlon, that, yeah. that Hanlon said about like, let's stop talking about stop talking. <laughs> And then right. just kind of do it. And then, you know, that was that was Coughlin's way of reinforcing of kind of like leading by example, which I think that's the more powerful point rather than just actually the slogan within itself.
0: Mm-hmm. I know I would have to agree. And I'm, I'm kind of with you with every athlete's different. Um, like for me, we had a very fiery head coach in high school. And when he talked, you listened. You know, what I mean, like he was he was superbly passionate. And every word he said just resonated. So he was he was a master motivator in that sense. Um, So, but you're right. Everything is different. However, I got I got now is this a different case? This isn't Giants. I know, but Bill Belichick's "Do Your Job" corny slogan has been around for how long?
1: Right, do your job, and this is where it gets back to that point of like you have to match and you have to marry. The slogan to the actual way that you go about business. Bill Belichick is all about like, do your job, and those players right. on their roster, they know their role. Everybody has their role. How long has Matthew Slater and Nate Ebner been special teamers? They are on. They are on the. Well, no, Matthew Slater's not on the Giants. I wanted him to be on the Giants, but Nate Ebner, Me too. is on the Giants. <laughs> because he uh-huh. has a job and he has a role. He has one job and he knows his role. He knows his place. Um, yep. So that team and that New England Patriot team, you can argue that now more than ever, because Mr. Brady is out of town and he was a guy that I can imagine that after of a, a lot of success, but also maybe some criticism that has come with that success because he has been in a system where all that Tom Brady has had to do is his job. What Patrick Mahomes has to yeah. do, <laughs> what a guy like Russell Wilson has to do to be successful, is very different than simply just doing your job. You need to play out of your Absolutely. fucking mind in those systems. Absolutely. Tom Brady needs to do his job.
0: Yes, and that's why I said it's – I know it's different, um, but it's it just kind of something that I, I thought of in, in the midst of us talking about Coughlin's talk is cheap, play the game, and finish thing, and – um you know, and they're, they're built from the same cloth, those two. Yeah. You know, they were – they're they're that Parcells tree and everything. So it's, uh, it's a good topic. I like this. This, we gotta, this is good
1: because – We got to do some research to see if the 0-16 Lions, if uh, – who was the head coach? Marinelli. Um, and Rob Marinelli, We, we yeah. have to see if they had any corny slogans heading into that year because obviously we're we're asking do corny slogans work and we're talking – and we're asking that question in the midst of a 2007 and 11 season where the Giants won the Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you put it that way, <laughs> um, so, we'll so to, they worked. They clearly worked. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, we're gonna move away from finish. We're gonna move away from finish. Um, it's this one, this one little quote that Coughlin had though. When if you look back to, um, to America's Game 2011 and snacks, you've obviously have seen this. But if you haven't seen this, um, where where the finish. Uh, slogan came from it was from a, a college track team and this one girl who, who her yes. coach was just diagnosed with ALS and she was really really struggling to finish this race but that race but the coach just preached you know it's about finishing you know it's almost not even about where you finish the placing but right, right. it's it's about just you, you you play to finish the game it's you know almost you play to win the game but you also play to finish you got to finish um so so this is from the, that track coach, he had this quote about finishing. It's purely determination that allows you to finish. You need to finish. That's the point. So that's why, really, not only because the you know 2011 Giants they won the Super Bowl and they finished miraculously, however many times in 2011 with four with fourth quarter comebacks and game winning drives by Eli Manning, but because they came off of such heartbreak the year before, and to have a Total polar opposites of fourth quarters and and things like that, especially especially stemming off of that Philadelphia game. That's why I think finish was more effective. So, there you go.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. And uh, one little quick tidbit, last thing, maybe not so much a slogan, but more of like a mm, I don't know the words I could find, but I remember in uh, eleven they had the all in too. So. Yes. With with the guy with the with the poker chip. And I remember in America's game that Eli had he was saying that he kept that poker chip next to his nightstand before he went to bed every night. And he would just look at it and say, This is what we're here for, this is what we're doing. We're all in. We're doing everything humanly possible to finish our goal. And they kind of both coincided with each other. Finish all in. And um, I remember the video package against the Falcons in the, the play in the wildcard playoff game where I was fan of the game by the way just I, I just want <laughs> I, I don't know I don't know if you knew that my face was was shown in front of 82,000 people on fall I was four there I I the saw Jumbotrons. you it's, Yeah you you knew you knew me before you even knew me yeah. Justin you know I I was fan of the game and it just the all in thing always uh, always resonated with me too so um yeah just a couple of t- Tidbits I wanted to just throw in there,
1: and I think they put it on the towels too, which that was awesome.
0: Yes, they absolutely awesome. did. Yep,
1: I, I I loved I loved that. I think I still have that towel somewhere. And the fact that there was that connection between the team and the fans that year, and the team wanted to use the fans, especially in week seventeen, and especially in that wild card round. You know, when they were home for those, they, those were basically two playoff games. You know, the winner you're in game against out Dallas that week seventeen game. That's basically a playoff game and then the wild card game obviously first round of the playoffs, the formal first round. that connection that the team and the fans had that year you know to boost each other up um, that was kind of really special. I felt like we were all kind of feeding off of each other that's very speaking of mm-hmm. corny, that's very corny but you want to know what I feel like it's true. All right, snacks, we're gonna move forward. We're gonna move forward. We are going to talk about chapter two. Of Palladino's book. That was Mm. all just chapter one. (laughs) That was all chapter one. I skipped out on some (laughs) stories. You know, I'm using my discretion on some of the stuff that's most most fun and stuff like that. But chapter two is all about rivals. Now, I previewed what we would be talking about last episode, but I love this chapter. I absolutely 100% love, love, love this chapter. So the story that we're going to start off with first is the story of Scott Gragg versus Michael Strahan. Dan Reeves called it the worst fight he'd ever seen, but Michael Strahan's ultimate off-season workout tiff with Scott Gragg marked only the zenith in the great defensive end's campaign to become a daily tormentor to the affable giant of a man. Gragg had, had come to the Giants as a second-rounder out of Montana in 1995, and Strahan almost immediately made it his mission to get under the right tackle's skin. Bull rushing, speed rushing, beating Grag at seemingly every turn. Strahan would issue a steady stream of verbal abuse at him during training camp drills. Don't be sad, Grag, he was heard over saying during one particular pass rush drill as the 6'8", 315-pound Grag slinked back to the huddle. One day during the 1996 offseason program, however, Greg got the better of Strahan as he worked over the defender's ribs, abdomen, and face. Strahan, shorter at 6'5 and lighter at 255, basically snapped. He ripped the helmet off of Greg's head and brought it down on his crown, Tomahawk style. Blood gushed as Greg fell to the ground, and then Strahan jumped on top of him and commenced beating him with his fists. Reeves called a halt to it, and several teammates pulled the irate Strahan off the now defenseless tackle. Everything would have settled quickly had the incident been contained to the two. Instead, the animosity spread. Jesse Armstead went after Howard Cross. Other players made threatening gestures towards each other. It took several minutes for the roiling pot of emotions to reduce to a simmer. Once things did calm down, Strahan and Greg made up quickly. Strahan apologized in the locker room, to which Greg chuckled and said, You really got me with the good shot. All the aggravation Strahan gave him paid off as Greg had a productive career as a four-year starter with the Giants and another five for the 49ers. This is wild.
0: That is ridiculous.
1: So here's how it went. You know, Strahan, you know, straight and, yeah, and, so, and believe me. You, I have I've Do you been here. do you break that? I've I've been do you here break of a guy's just kicking your ass. And coaches, you know, mm-hmm. they they ain't they ain't telling, they ain't switching. You know, they'll they'll say maybe intentionally like, hey, Justin, go up against uh, Rivers, whatever the fucking guy's name would be. Right. You know, just every single time because uh, oh, wait, no. Uh, well, actually. I would I remember this one time when I was in high school where this one coach, I was getting under this kid's skin so bad. Now, this one kid, I won't say his name, this one kid. Have you ever seen the movie Howard the Duck? I have not. All right. Well, we'll we'll look look it up after the show. I'll put it I'll put it in the email. But this kid looked like fucking Howard the Duck. It was a terrible movie that was made in the 90s, I think, about like a cigar smoking, alcohol drinking, prostitute bleeping um duck. He was a duck that came from outer space and wild, wild terrible movie. But this dude looked like Howard the Duck. And this our freshman year coach in high school at St. Peter's prep, who was an asshole. I don't care if he's listening. He was an asshole. Um, made <laughs> me go up against this one kid over and over and over again. Cause I was kicking his ass. And I think he eventually quit that kid. Um, he quit like in the middle of the year. So, <laughs> um, so Strahan and Greg, they were really going after each other, but what's, what's wild, you know, Strahan's really getting at him. So then snap of the ball. And I can imagine Greg is a right tackle. So, left hand goes in the abdomen, goes in the ribs. Now these guys, they don't wear rib pads. You know, I think I, you know, younger kids and whatnot, maybe even high school, but definitely, I don't even think anymore. But I loved when when guys stopped wearing their rib pads. I loved it. Like you see Patrick Mahomes, he has rib pads. He's smart because what happens is you'll have you know you'll have defensive linemen intentionally when they're getting off of a quarterback, put your elbow in their ribs just, Oh, I was getting up ref. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> right. That, you know, so I, I would, I, you know, bad guy move. I would do that to people, you know, whenever I would, you know, be on top of somebody or whatever, I would put my elbow in their ribs as I'm getting up. Um, I would slap the ear hole if they were holding me. Um, cause I got pissed off if I saw that they were leaning and they had bad technique and they were holding me like outside by the shoulders, I would slap them in the ear hole. That's illegal. You can't do that, but I would do it anyway. Um, <laughs> So left hand goes in Strahan's ribs, which I can imagine that fucking hurts. And then right hand goes inside his fucking face. And he like right hand goes like in the chin and his upper. That's a deadly combo. So, yeah, I can imagine that pissed fucking Strahan off. So then not only did he just get mad and they, you know, they do a little shove and whatnot. Strahan rips the helmet off. Fucking Miles Garrett's him right on the crown of his head. Except this guy doesn't miss. And. Then then he falls down, and Strahan gets on top of him and beats the shit out of him. That's, oh, and then he, he's, while he's bleeding, Strahan's beating the shit out of him. Do you know how angry you have to be to do that? Very. <laughs> Very. Like, usually there's, like, a human nature, human instinct thing. It's like, oh, I just literally used a weapon on somebody, and now they're bleeding. I'm going to stop now. Yeah. No, Strahan did not. He it, wild.
0: Well, that's why he's so revered. I mean, he he was. You look at him on he, like like picture Michael Strahan in that moment, right? Like just going at him, right? You got him. Are you yeah. picturing it?
1: Oh, I, yeah. I've been picturing okay, it for picturing the last two weeks ever since I read the story. Good.
0: <laughs> then picture him on on Good Morning America or whatever the fuck he's on. right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. With with little twig uh, Kelly Ripa. Yes. Oh uh, well, that's the uh, Kelly, the old Kelly and Michael uh, vehicle. Yeah, that's right.
1: Kelly Michael vehicle. That was a that was with, a a that was a Michael K show. That was a Michael K show reference. I heard you.
0: Yes, it was vehicle. You got that, huh? <laughs> do you do you know in the last three weeks he has uh, he has, uh, sorry really quick sidetrack he has re- he has read two of my tweets out loud and yesterday's was as funny as ever or two days ago. Did you record them? No, I didn't. I was listening on the radio. Oh, on. So I wasn't watching. So I, real quick, real quick, he does a list every day. It was like top five candy bars, and he did his top five, and it was awful, like really bad. But I'm like, well, if I say this, I'm not. Gonna, it's not going to get read, and I'm trying to, you know, trying to chase my clout. Yeah. So I tweet out to Michael. I tweet out to Michael K. I go, I go, Michael, check my name. And it's Nikki Snacks. Check my name. I would know a thing or two. Your list was perfectly fine. So he gets on the air after he sees it and he goes, "Look at this, boys. Nikki Snacks just tweeted at me." He goes, "I would know a thing or two. Your list was perfectly fine." He goes, Nick, Nikki, I I agree. You would know and I know my list was great." It was hysterical. Hysterical. I had to share that.
1: Cuz <laughs> you're you're just such a funny, you're you're a naturally funny and just wonderful wonderful person. You know you know how Michael K actually I actually – you know my I'm the best soundbite drop? I don't have it up right now, but you know my mm-hmm. I'm I'm the best, and David refers to it all the time. Yes,
0: yes, all the time.
1: I actually have – the inspiration behind that was Michael K, because I think he has a soundbite that's like I love me or I'm rooting for me. Yep, I'm rooting for me. And that that's where I kind of got I'm it from. I me. get like that whole like I'm the best kind of thing behind the microphone. I get that from Michael K. Love it. I don't know if you knew. Oh, I, that I kind of just gave the secret. I did,
0: no, I did not know that. That's that's a funny tidbit. I did not know it, show because I think, I think their tidbit, like their um, their sound bites, is phenomenal. That's where I and get the it. The fact from. that you, you, yeah, I know you use them just as like, vitally in in our episodes and whatnot. It's my, it's my motherfucking uncle. Okay. Well, see, wait, I got, have one more. You no, know, you just. Right. You do Viagra
1: too. <laughs> you do Viagra too. I don't even remember the context of it. I don't even remember the context <laughs> behind it. I think I just, I don't know where I even got it. It was obviously from BDGE and Fade the Public, but I have no clue. Absolutely no clue. All right. So, uh, Strahan and Greg. Oh, Strahan's boy. a crazy, yes. sorry, go ahead. Cra- he saw Red, a crazy motherfucker, for that one play. Which is leading me to like, are, are there other behind the scenes stories of Strahan getting really mad, or did Gregg just get under Strahan's skin like unusually? That's something that I would ask Palladino. Like, hey, did was Scott Gregg just that much of a of a bother to Michael Strahan that he did this, or was or was Strahan just like intense all the time? Which I don't think he really was because the story of him and John Runyon they were it's it's a lot more civilized so so paladino picks up yes the strahan matches were slightly more civilized and lopsided strahan dominated runyon year in and year out with the zenith coming in the 2000 playoff game when strahan ran over the 330 pound right tackle to nail McNabb for his second strip sack of the game After week two domination that same season, Strahan was asked by a television reporter about his match with Runyon. Who? Strahan said. John Runyon, who? The two continued to throw barbs at each other throughout their careers but it rarely degenerated into dirty play. In fact, Strahan at one point revert to their rivalry as a dance, and you want to be the lead. Mm -hmm. Only a few months after Strahan retired, the future congressman representing New Jersey's 3rd District paid his foe a tremendous compliment. He was the type of guy who threw everything at you, Runyon said. Even if he was hurt, he'd do everything he could. The biggest thing was he wasn't going to beat you with one move. He'd wait for you to get out of position, and then he'd take advantage of it. He wouldn't set you up. He would want you to wait and react off something, and you might do something stupid. So they were dancing. Yeah. They weren't beating the shit out of him. No, they they were dancing.
0: And I don't know if we're going to get to this, so maybe I'll just beat – well, we're going to get to it, but I'm just going to beat you to the punch. Um, Strahan literally has the most utmost respect – the most utmost respect. That makes no sense, buddy. Um, He has the utmost respect for John Runyon, and when you battle like that, you do. Can I just read a quick insert from his Hall of Fame speech? Please. Okay. So John Runyon was in attendance for Michael Strahan's Hall of Fame speech, which is to me very telling of their, um, as you said, like a peaceful and, and just truly professional rivalry. So Strahan goes, why don't you stand up so they can see you? Six nine, three hundred fifty 350 pounds of twisted steel and non-sex appeal. <laughs> <laughs> John, you made me a student of the game. I'm going to talk directly to you. And this is, this is where I found interesting. said, when you went to the and I think John Runyon who kind of stems from this quote that Strahan says when you want when you went to the Eagles from Tennessee it made me mad because I felt like they brought you, I they brought you in to stop me it really bothered me but you made me a student to study my opponent to learn my opponent better than than they knew themselves and even though everybody thinks that I had so many battles against you and I was winning everything well I was but you you won quite a bit and the last part it, it's just a true testament to their, I guess, friendship and, and rivalry that was that was peaceful and, and everything. You were the toughest guy I ever had to face on a consistent basis. You made me a much better football player. And after watching these films and you don't play anymore, your right foot gave gave away everything you were going to do. But I love you, John Runyon. So a guy that you went to battle against for eight straight years, two times a year, recorded 12 sacks in 14 games against him, Having the most utmost respect for a guy that when he – I did it again. Most utmost respect. Stop. Stop with the bad grammar. Stop. Anyway, he had the utmost respect for a guy that he went to battle with. And it's not punching people in the ribs and in the face. It's just a class battle between two complete professionals and two great players at their positions.
1: Wow, so you calling me a dirty football player? Is that what you're doing? A little bit. A little bit. Uh, well, is like is the, it a, is like it a hot the, take? Like is it a hot take to say that Scott Gregg was not in attendance for Michael Strahan's Hall of Fame speech?
0: Ah, uh, yeah, probably a very big hot take. <laughs> oh, I just I, I always thought it was so cool that Runyon was there and that Michael literally took a few minutes out of his speech to to tell him that he made him a better football player, and I, I think to me that is very cool. As much as we despise the Philadelphia Eagles and everything they stand for and their crummy, shitty, disgusting, awful fans and the crummy, shitty, disgusting, awful players and everything about them. We hate the fact that Strahan is able to, in retirement, at his Hall of Fame, with Runyon there, which is the, mo- the most respect possible. A pretty cool moment, in my opinion.
1: Alright, we're going to move to something that's a little bit more nasty. This is, this is not as nice, this is not as cordial, this is not as professional. And frankly, this is where your hatred for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, let me ask you this. Which team do you hate more? Do you hate the Dallas Cowboys or the Eagles more?
0: There is nothing in this world I hate more than the Dallas Cowboys. All right. I I
1: agree with you. I 100% agree with you.
0: And maybe it's because we're from Jersey and I can understand a lot of like South Jerseyans hating Philly because they're right there and they see so many of them. But what pisses me off the most is I'm from North Jersey. Okay. And. The amount of Dallas Cowboy fans that jumped on a bandwagon in 1990 or whatever the fuck it was, and they're all diehards now, and they all claim Super Bowl victory every off season for 24 years running. They're the most nauseating people to listen to. I hate that team. Hate them. It's not the fact that they they sign convict after convict after convict after convict after convict. No, it's not just that. It's their awful fans. It's their shitty fucking owner. I hate them. I hate them, hate them, hate
1: them if Jimmy Sorry. if Jimmy Johnson was a coach for longer over there I think I would like them better because I love Jimmy Johnson I absolutely Do you I hate Jimmy Johnson love I him. love him because hate I watched him. his foot I watched him. his football life um I won't well I I think I think you should I think we should watch it one day um no you, you and I we should and no what he and at the time I was still playing football <clears throat> what is happening with my boys at the time I was still playing football And what he said about conditioning and being in shape and how you are a coward if you're if you're sucking for wind by the end of the game and your hands are on your knees, your hands are on your head, your hands are on your hips. Like I, I look for those things and especially in practice, like, you know, when you're competing with your other teammates, I would look for that shit to see who the fuck is tired and who am I going to go after. Cause I was, I did not get tired. I was never now, now I'm fat, but when I, when I played, I was never, I was never like big. I never had a gut. I mean, I I was, I was big for my size, but I wasn't huge. So I was in very good shape. My, I was more of a technique player, more than I was a tough, more than I was a toughness player, despite what you, despite what you're hearing on this podcast, I definitely more was more of a technician rather than a guy who was like really tough, but I would take pride in not being tired. Now, there's also, I posted that, I posted that clip of Jimmy Johnson from a football life and he had a speech in front of Miami. And I posted that on Twitter and people were like, well, if you're not tired by the end of the game, you didn't play hard enough. But also as an offensive, especially like as an offensive lineman, as a running back, collapse. Yes, you should be fucking collapsing by the end of the game because I hate running.
0: Because you're going full. But as an offensive
1: lineman, you're working for three seconds at most every play. And then you're done. As an offensive lineman, you, especially as an offensive lineman, your jersey should be fucking clean. You shouldn't be on the ground. And you should be ready to play another game afterwards. And that's that's my opinion. Yeah. But that's my opinion. Yeah. But anyway, I hate the Cowboys heart, more. Hard to disagree. I hate the Cowboys Good. more.
0: As we should. As we should. Sure. And they've, listen, we weren't alive for their success because, you know, they've been losers for a quarter of a century. But, but they
1: still act like winners. That that's the thing. At least the Eagles know that they're fucking losers.
0: Right, exactly, they do and I, and I can respect I can respect that. It's like it's like when, when, when cowboy fans my age, our age are like, oh well, we've got five Super Bowls, okay, yeah, How many have you seen? Put in the VCR oh, buddy? Oh, oh, I wasn't a lot. Well exactly. do you ever hear me, Justin, do you ever hear me when I joke around I say I'm a two-time Super Bowl champion. do you ever hear me say I'm a four-time Super Bowl champion?
1: No, because you're not a fraud. No, I'm not a fraud. I didn't
0: see the. Fra- I didn't see 86 and 90. It's like me being a Yankee fan saying, "Oh wow, 27 uh, time champions." I hate that. No, I've seen four. I was alive for four. I remember four. So I tell you about the four. I'm not going to tell you about the the other 23 that I have no fucking idea.
1: In that video where you were harassing people in Nashville, I think you had the. T- you were saying two to people. You weren't yes, saying I four. Was
0: putting out my finger. Two. Two time. Two time. Two time. I didn't do it any Patriots fans because that's the only team that, I, yeah. even though you know, <laughs> without us they have eight. So, <laughs> so I mean, maybe I should have, but no, it's it's true. I I I can't stand, I can't stand the average common Joe fan that is that is around our age, and that's why I hate this team so much. That is going to claim Super Bowl superiority for for Super Bowls you never laid eyes on. It is as annoying as anything that I could ever think of.
1: All right, let's get Sorry. to one of the million reasons why we hate the Dallas Cowboys. Or really, let's add on another reason because a lot of people don't know this story. I didn't know this story. You didn't know this story when I when I like told it to you pre-show. In the second quarter of the second game in two thousand nine, a thirty-three to thirty-one Giants win. They swept in two thousand nine. Fun fact: to christen the new Cowboys Stadium, Tuck lined Tuck was lined up over Flozell Adams over an adjusted alignment. He beat the massive 6'7", 340-pound Adams off the snap. Adams, reputed as one of the league's prominent cheap shot artists, his leg whipped Tuck as he went by and sent the defensive captain sprawling onto his left shoulder, tearing his labrum. Tuck, who suffered such intense pain that he was unable to resume a three-point stance, could no longer continue. The man who had not missed a game since a foot injury that cost him six games in 2006. Headed for the doctors the next day after he let Adams have it in the in the press conference, he called him "Bush League," and that was the term Tuck used. Adding, he only wished he could have returned to punish Adams. That triggered a cross country verbal battle. "Bush," what does that mean? Responded the Pro Bowl tackle who was flagged for his trip play and later fined twelve thousand five hundred dollars. I've never ever heard of that term. He said he hurt his shoulder. I'm like, well, stay up. That's all I know. He fell down. Stay up. What a fucking. All right, I'm not done yet. I'm not done Mm -hmm. yet. Wait, am I I done? No, I'm not done Power through. Power through. Damn, I'm already mad. As if the rivalry between the Cowboys and the Giants wasn't intense enough, Tuck said Adams made me hate the Cowboys a little bit more. I did say hate. I stand by what I said right after. It was a Bush League play. Normally, people go to the Pro Bowl for blocking and tackling, not tripping people. Though Tuck didn't miss a game, he was limited to a situational role the following week versus the Bucks. Tuck never did return to his old self. Even after he resumed his starting job, he played in pain through that, throughout the, the season, saw his effectiveness decrease, and eventually submitted to offseason surgery that took care of the steady ache. But Tuck never lost his distaste for Adams, and vice versa. As the teams faced for the as the teams headed for the halftime locker room in their in their December fifth rematch. Adams pushed Tuck from behind and started a melee. I felt somebody shove me to the ground, Tuck said. It takes a coward and some words. I can't say to push a guy in the back. So not only did this fucking guy pull an Eric Flowers, where he tried to just throw out his leg and trip another man because he sucks. I don't want to say dick. dick. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say it, but I said it. Because well, he, I said it for you. Thank you. Because he sucks. All right? But also, in their re- so he tore his fucking labrum. He played through the season when he could have opted for surgery and to end his season mm-hmm. right there, which honestly probably would have been the best long-term decision because Justin Tuck, 100%. I feel like after that 2009 season, I feel like every single he year he climb. was struggling with injuries. Every single year yep. he was struggling yep. with injuries. Now, who's to say yep. that maybe those things aren't even connected – but for a guy that, like, you know, like Paladino said, from 06 to 09, he literally played almost every single snap. He literally played every single game. Then he tore his labrum based off of a cheap-ass, dirty play because a tackle sucks, and he got beat. And then, during the rematch, going to the locker room, shoves him in the back, and he can't. And you can't even defend yourself.
0: That, ugh. ugh. Disgusting. You know, it, it really is disgusting. And that... Oh my god what what is what does somebody like us say to that? Because we just talked about how much we hated the Cowboys. You know the name Flozell Adams. that that's a name like you just don't forget. Even like regardless of knowing what happened with Tuck and everything, you know that name. If you pay attention to John's football and the rivalry of the, of the Giants and the Cowboys, what a disgusting, despicable act. Like that you're a <laughs> pussy. You do that. I'm sorry.
1: No, you, 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 are. Do you want
0: me, Do you want me to be nicer?
1: No, no, no. You you really are like, and that's not just a bad look, like in that one moment, but that's just a a bad look, like as and the league as a whole. Like guys are that's going the, to look down, at the you, look down at you because you made that one move and you carried out your business in that kind of way. What so? You don't like that he said that he called that he called your dirty move in the first place a Bush league move, so instead of punching him in the mouth on the football field, you push him in the back going to the locker room for halftime. Really?
0: Yeah. Real real tough. Real tough. And how do your teammates think of that? I can guarantee you those guys are like, oh, wow, great move, guy. You just blindsided a guy and pushed him in the back. Yeah, real cool.
1: No. No. Wade Phillips, Wade Phillips and his and his asshole, that that asshole family, that dirty, that dirty, dirty fucking father who was a coach uh, probably told him to do it. Probably. Also, how have you never are are you really going to like sit there and act like you've never heard of the term Bush League before? That's a very common phrase. (laughs) (laughs) That's been used for how long? (laughs) Come on. What did he call me? Fuck, get out of here. Alright, so that's so add add you, that you add that to the talk. list of the reasons why we hate Please. the Cowboys.
0: Yeah. So Flozell Adams, shitty fans, fake fans, idiot fans, idiot owner, losers. Add it to the list.
1: Add it to the list. Um I'm snacks. Sweating. Snacks. We're we're Justin. We're approaching fifty minutes in, I believe. All right, all right. I, I feel like that's all a good right. time now we have again so i feel like we'll i feel like this is going to be a common theme when we do these episodes we're going to tease one story now we may spend an extended period of time on this you know god willing david will be back next week we have not we have not excommunicated david david has been having technical issues um and he's been a fucking annoying Uh um, no we we love david but he has been annoying about it i hope you're listening to this david um you so what we're up. what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about LaShawn McCoy, and we're gonna talk about OCU Manure. They had a spat and they had a feud that kind of went on for a few years. Now, snacks. Maybe the thing that we can end off with is I really want like this kind of Flozell Adams Justin Tuck rivalry. I kind of want that to continue. It kind of gave like think of how much fire that gave that Giants team. To kick the shit out of the Cowboys. Now Runyan and Strahan—that was professional. That was a dance between two people. But I remember even there was articles after that whole, you know, there's ESPN articles uh, um, that came out after after those, you know, after those games where uh, Tuck calls Adams, uh, you know, trip a Bush League move. You know, Kiwanuka got involved and Kiwanuka has been the victim of of injuries by offensive linemen who have uh, been. Or, let me say this, Qanuka has been victim to injuries by offensive linemen who he's beaten before. I think, you know, there was a Tennessee game earlier in Kuanuka's career where I may be getting a game wrong, but he beat an offensive lineman and I think there was some kind of move that a guy did and he wound up suffering a major injury. And Qanuka has been another guy that kind of struggled in and out with injuries throughout his entire career. So... Hewanuka yeah. had some stuff to say. I can imagine that that's that's a that's a rallying point in your locker room. Like you know, these guys are assholes, and we want to kick the shit yeah. out of them. <laughs> we yeah. need that. We really no. need that again. But these guys, they're too we fucking do. nice. They have all of their wars on Twitter, um, and they're corny. But this uh, this war between OC and McCoy, maybe we'll look into it more because.
0: There's there's definitely there's definitely a lot more into it that that we have to digest yeah. and and really research because I think we look back was, on it
1: we look back on it by OC saying Happy Mother's Day to LeSean McCoy and it's like oh yeah. that's funny that's funny that's good but like really I'm trying to think like really is it like or is it just petty and childish?
0: Well, we could talk about that next week, but if I'm not mistaken, there was like an E60 segment on this.
1: Yeah. Which isn't that, isn't that crazy? There's, there should be an E60 on, on Runyon and Strahan. There should be an E60. Yeah, maybe there not, should. Maybe not on, that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, Really? Really? Like, and especially you have all those clips of, um, you know, at the hall of fame speech and you know, like, maybe, maybe there has been something done on him. We just don't know, but, um, mm. Hey, that's what we'll do. We'll, uh, we'll get in touch with Michael Strahan. We'll get in touch with Runyon. We'll get in touch with some other guys from those early two thousands teams, mid two thousands teams. And, uh, uh, Bleeding blue. will put something together. That's what we'll do. Love it. That's what we'll do. Love it. All right. Snacks. Um, Sounds gorgeous to me. Um. Fuck the Cowboys. Do we have? Do we have oh, anything listen. else?
0: Listen. Listen. If there's any way to end this episode, which I really enjoyed, and I'm really enjoying these because this just, just takes us back. And let's just put it this way, like you said, fuck the Dallas. Cowboys. Fuck them. Okay? Fuck them. That's it.
1: That's all I got. All right. Fuck them. Thank you for listening. Um, we Fuck them. We will be back next week. And I believe on Sunday. So, you know, if you're listening to this on Monday, it was yesterday. But this Sunday, which is, um, the, the date is the 7th. June 7th. 99 days. 99 days. Until Giants football is coming back snacks. So I figured how we would end off the show. Victor Cruz. 99 yard touchdown against the Jets. Figured we can end off on Bob Papa's call of that. So thank you for listening. You're really. You have a great week. Stay. Stay safe. You know, uh, do do what you got to do to stay safe. We love you. We love you. We love you. Uh, Leave five star ratings. If you're enjoying this, Uh, give, give me some feedback. I finally can see the numbers again. Uh, in terms of how many people are listening, which is nice. But uh, keep on bleeding blue, everybody. Here's Bob Papa. Manning back to throw. Looks, throws one to the right, completes it to the right for a first down, and running out of a tackle down the right sideline is Victor Cruz. Chased
0: by Smith, hurdles over him, to the 30, to the 20, to the 10, to the
1: 5. Touchdown, Giants, 99 yards! Individual victory there. He beat his guy and did
0: more with it. That's what you asked for.
1: And with 2.12 to go on the half, half of Metlite Stadium erupts, and the Giants are in front on the 99 yard touchdown pass.